Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I am the founder and CEO of Mara Poling, and I'm excited to be with you today to talk about another interesting topic in multifamily real estate investing, and that is the decision to borrow or not to borrow against an asset. This is a decision that I make on a regular basis regarding the assets that we manage for our clients. And it's a decision that many of you have made or are in the process of making or should be making relative to assets that you own in your own portfolio. So what I'd like to do in the next 20 minutes or so is share some of the thinking we use in terms of how we look at this decision. And hopefully that will be of some value in helping you make a decision. Now, for those of you that don't own real estate independently, that don't have your own portfolio, and maybe you're looking to make investments with someone like Mara Poling, we obviously would love to chat with you about that. But this topic is of interest to you as well, because this will help you understand leverage when you talk to an investment firm or a sponsor, whatever term you want to use for describing someone like us. Uh, this should help you understand better uh, the questions you'd want to ask around their strategy and how they go about doing this. So let's go ahead and dive in. As I say every week, if you have any questions, shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. And don't forget to swing by the website, uh, the Learning Center in particular. Lots of great material there for you to benefit from. M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. So let's get started. So the genesis for this uh, topic today, uh, as is the case with almost every topic we have every week, is uh, conversations I've had with folks like you all that call me, email me, uh, get on my calendar, uh, and then say, hey, I, I've got some property, and I own it free and clear, or I'm trying to own it free and clear. That's my goal. Uh, what do you think? So. Uh, let me share with you the counsel that we uh, share with folks like that. One, uh, this is a very personal decision. Everybody needs to be comfortable with the level of risk that they take on. We are risk averse. We focus on security and stability with our investment portfolio to start with and then look to optimize returns. But the first return is a stable, secure investment. Uh, and each of you need to make that own, your own decision about that. Again, whether you're investing with us or investing on your own, uh, you'll need to make that, uh, that decision. Having said that, we do think this is a lot about math, that while it sounds like a subjective, maybe even an emotional decision about where your comfort level is, math plays a really big role in helping define and describe what that is. We think that it makes sense to do some modeling so you can determine for yourself, just as we have, where those thresholds are, where are the barriers where you cross over from having no risk to modest risk and from modest risk to higher risk and ultimately to an unacceptable level of risk. For us, um, we think having a property that is unlevered uh, invites too much lazy equity. Lazy equity, if, if you've been listening for any length of time to us, is uh, something that is nice to have, but uh, lazy equity should be put to work. 
And, and we believe if you've got a property or if we had a property that had no leverage on it, that means we've got a bunch of equity in there that's really not doing anything. Uh, we don't think that um, there's a big difference from a risk standpoint at having no leverage or being 50% levered, that really that entire range uh, is an area where uh, even in those ranges, you could conceivably add some more leverage and get above 50% and not really change your risk uh, profile. When you get above 50% and you get into the areas that we operate in, 60s and the very low 70s, uh, we think that's a, a healthy level of risk to have. Uh, is it risky? We don't think it is risky relative to an 80 or an 85 or a 90% levered property. Uh, those are properties and, and uh, would be structures, deal structures that would have very high potential returns and you'd be dancing a little on the knife's edge. And so for that reason, our ranges are between 70%, which is kind of where we like to start on an asset. And then as it grows in value and we pay down the loan and we get to the low 60s and then into the 50s, and when we get below 50, we really think we've got lazy equity that ought to be put to work. So those are the numbers we've come to, but we've come to them by virtue of having math that's involved. And so let's walk through some math and then you can make decisions for yourself as to where you'd see those lines getting drawn. We're gonna use for our example today, and again, my apologies, whenever we do a podcast around math, uh, we'll try and make it as simple as we can. We know that you're driving or uh, you're on the treadmill or, uh, you know, or you're, you're lounging in, uh, in the backyard and not necessarily interested in going and grabbing a sheet of paper and doing notes. Um, so that's fine. We're going to make this as simple as we can. And for that reason, we're going to use a $1 million property. I'll go out on a limb and say nobody listening has a $1 million property. Some of you might have smaller properties. Some of you might have bigger. Some of you may have no properties and you're looking to invest with us. We do not invest in million-dollar properties. Our properties are uh, significantly larger than that. But a million dollars is a good round number uh, that you can scale up or scale down that will help you get a sense of this. So a million-dollar property with no leverage on it, so there's a million dollars in equity, is gonna throw off about $60,000 a year. That's the model that we're using. That's the way we're describing this. Where that comes from is uh, tenants pay the rent. The rent then gets uh, used to cover all the cash expenses that are involved. And what's left is there to cover the mortgage payment and to generate cash as a return back to the investor. Well, on an unlevered property, there is no mortgage payment. So the net operating income is the cash number. And in this instance, it's $60,000, which is 6% of a million. So this is a six cap property. Cap rates are the unlevered rate of return. So that's what you're actually seeing here is an unlevered return, $60,000. And over the course of five years, that is going to grow by some meaningful amount, might be three, four, or 5% a year such that by the time you get to the end of five years, you've probably seen about a 6.5% return on average, uh, cash on cash. Now that's the return on the million dollars that's invested because that's the equity that's invested in this property. And over that period of time, because that net operating income has grown, again, three, four, 5% a year, 
you're going to see about 160, 170, $180,000 or so in equity growth because as the NOI grows, it gets applied to that cap rate and you see some incremental value that's generated. So you end up with about a three and a half percent or so equity growth rate, which gets you to 10%. So in our model here, we've got a million dollar property that's owned free and clear and that's generating on the average over a five-year time frame about a 10% return. Two-thirds of that cash, a third of that equity growth. Okay. So that's just a baseline that we're gonna that we're gonna start with. Now let's take a look at what would happen if we put some leverage into this model. So we're gonna use 50%. As we said, 50% is a place where we would draw the line and say anything below 50%. Uh, we think by definition means there's lazy equity and we ought to be doing something to get that equity back at work. So we'll use 50% here. Uh, and it, I think it's also a good number just that helps um, uh, conceptually to understand the model. I would encourage you, if you're looking at making this decision for a property you own, that you model a variety of different leverage points, 40%, 50%, 60%, 70%, and see what the math looks like. And then that's gonna help you get comfortable with where you're gonna to wanna to draw that line for yourself in terms of what you think you'd like to do. So if we do 50% leverage, we take that million dollar property and we're gonna go get a loan. We're gonna assume we keep the exact same property, right? We're not gonna confuse things with trying to sell it and buy a new one and so on. Although that may in fact be the, the right choice for you, but we're not gonna discuss that today. So we've got a million dollar property. We borrow half a million dollars against it, 500,000. So we now have $500,000 in equity in that property and we have $500,000 in cash. So if we just take the 500,000 in cash and go do something fun with it, right? We take a vacation or some other really extravagant thing, then obviously we're not gonna be improving our, our rate of return. So what we're gonna do with that 500,000 is we're gonna go buy another property. And because we're now comfortable with 50% leverage, that means we can go buy another $1 million property. And we'll take out a 50% loan on it. And our 500,000 that we borrowed out of the first property becomes the down payment, if you will, for this second property. Now, this is a very simplified model. So I know there's a lot of other little costs and so on, but we're just gonna talk big picture here right now to get a sense of how this might work. So now we own two $1 million properties. We have a half a million dollars in equity in each of them. So we still have our million dollars in equity in total, but we also now have a million dollars in debt. Half a million on one property, half a million on another. We have doubled the amount of NOI. We're not getting $60,000 a year in NOI. We're getting 120,000 because we have $2 million properties and NOI has nothing to do with debt. NOI is rent coming in from tenants, cash expenses going out, that's NOI. Below NOI, you take out debt service and then that's what gives you cash. In our unlevered example, there is no debt service, so that's why the cash number was $60,000. In this levered model, there is debt service. 27, 28, $29,000 a year, something in that range uh, is what we're modeling on this. So you're gonna see a slightly higher cash number, about 31, maybe $32,000 on each property. 
62, 63, maybe 64,000 in total between uh, the two properties together. So absolutely we're seeing more cash. Over five years, the cash on the unlevered model was about six and a half percent. The cash on this 50% leverage model is seven and a quarter percent, 75 basis points higher. And as I pause for that to sink in, some of you, many of you are gonna be saying, so we did all of this to just get 75 basis points more in cash return. I don't know that that's worth it. I completely agree with you. If that was all there was to this equation, it's probably not worth just the hassle, let, forget about risk, just the hassle of going through and putting this kind of leverage in place. So why would we wanna do this? Well, there's more to the equation than just cash in this initial five years, and it can help with cash over a long period of time. So let's take a look at the equity growth. Now, equity growth in our original model, right? Our unlevered model, we had about $170,000 over five years, about three and a half percent roughly. And that comes purely from the growth in NOI on that property. On these new properties, right, because we have leverage on them, we get the exact same 170,000. And remember, we get it on two properties, so we actually get $340,000 in growth from that standpoint. But in addition to that, because we have debt, we're paying the debt down every month, right? When the tenants pay the rent and we pay all the cash expenses and then we pay the mortgage out of that, our tenants are paying our, our mortgage down and that reduction in the principal amount turns into equity. So we start with a half a million in equity on one of these levered properties. The property itself goes from being worth a million to a million one hundred and seventy thousand dollars. So we made one hundred and seventy thousand there, but our loan balance goes from five hundred thousand to four ninety to four eighty to four seventy, and you can see we make some money on that side. So our equity growth is higher, and higher in a fairly uh, significant way. Not only is the dollar amount higher, but its equity growth and we've only got 500,000 at risk. So our return on equity is not three and a half percent, it's north of 7%, almost 8%. So we're getting a significantly higher amount of equity growth, which brings our total return from the 10% on the unlevered model to 15%. So we've increased our rate of return by 50%, really significant. Now, I said a moment ago that this extra money we get on the equity side would eventually show up in cash because I think we'd all agree a 75 basis point movement in cash, while nice, isn't something we're probably gonna go through everything we've described in order to achieve. However, that's just the first five years. So when you get into the second five years, and as we encourage folks to think, and certainly the way we manage our assets, five years is a reasonable hold time for an asset for a variety of reasons. Selling an asset at the end of five years, purchasing a new asset in its place, being able to appropriately leverage that new asset as well as get fresh depreciation and so on. There's a lot of benefits to it. The biggest benefit is the fact that you get that lazy equity that's sitting inside that asset, you get it back to work. So in the example we have here, uh, 
you've got $170,000 in that unlevered example of increased value that you could put to work somewhere. And that would give you the same dollar amount of equity that you'd still be hanging on to. In our levered model, that number is almost $400,000, substantially higher. And when you put those amounts at work, you're going to see incremental cash returns that are higher. And that's gonna move your cash, not just from six and a half to seven and a quarter, which is the move we got based on leverage, but that's gonna get you to 8% or to eight and a half percent or to 9% or to 10% in that second generation in that year six through year 10. And because you're a good long-term investor in real estate, and we encourage everyone to think about their real estate holdings that way, you're gonna see another bump when you get to year 10, 11, 12, when you roll into that third generation of assets. So the growth in equity isn't so the equity can be taken out, right? It's not so the equity can be harvested. The growth in equity has great value from a cash standpoint because we can redeploy that equity as we get to the end of this five-year cycle into a larger property that throws off more cash. So relative to our original million dollars that we had in there, we'll see higher and higher cash returns. Inside our investment fund, as an example, we have returns that begin on the cash side in the six, seven, eight percent range, moving to the low double digits, 10, 12, 13, 14, and then even into the mid, uh, the mid teens, cash returns, not because we're doing anything dramatic or uh, extravagant or extremely risky, it's because we're harvesting this equity that we grow and putting it back to work in these new assets. And we have that equity because we've not only grown the value of the asset, but we've paid that uh, principal down. And we've done that with a modest amount of leverage uh, out there. So if you're thinking about purchasing an asset where you already have an asset and you've uh, set as a goal for yourselves, we wanna have that property paid off in 10 years. I would encourage you before you lock that decision in, do some of this math. You may still come to the same conclusion that, you know what, what's gonna work best for us is holding that property very long-term and not having any debt on it. And if that's your decision, then that's a great decision. And you may, after having done some of this math, come to the conclusion of some amount of debt actually would make some sense. And how much that some amount is, is a number you've got to determine for yourself and it shouldn't be determined by virtue of reading an article or listening to someone like me. As I said, our, our modeling for us says we want to live in that 50 to 70% range, right? We'd like, to, we'd like to be levered around 70% at the beginning of a hold, and we'd like that to, drip down to drop down to 50. And when we get to 50 or below, then we want to start looking at redeploying and, and getting back towards that 70 number. And we want to live in that range. That doesn't mean that's the right range for you on an asset you may hold for yourself. Conversely, if you're looking for a significantly higher return and are comfortable with more risk, then you may in fact be looking at leverage that's in the 80% range or even higher. To determine what's the right number for you is to go through and do the math. In particular, to see just what's the differences between 50 and 60 or between 70 and 80 that'll help you get some sense as to what's the right way to go about doing that. 
So as we've gone through this today, and again, my apologies for doing math on a podcast. Uh, if you've got questions, in particular, if you're wondering, well, how do I build that model or what does that look like? Or I'm not sure I quite understood how this number led to that number. Feel free to shoot me an email. I'll be happy to answer your questions for you uh, and more than happy to hop on a call. Uh, and if you've got a property that you own and you're trying to figure some of this out, I'm happy to chat with you for a little while and help you give some uh, some additional thought to how you uh, how you might want to structure that. If what you've heard today makes sense and you like the notion of modest leverage helping you improve returns while supporting a stable and secure investment, then I'd encourage you to reach out to us as well so that we could explain more of how we do this in our portfolio. And if ultimately you decided that that was a fit, great. Uh, but at a minimum, it's a great educational opportunity. So I hope you found today valuable. Please subscribe if you have not yet so that you don't miss any of our great content and tune in again next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling.